The lies that drove the anger and madness we saw in this place, they have not abated. So we have to be firm, resolute, and unyielding in our defense of the right to vote, and to have that vote counted. Yes, please. And thank you. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another Bradcast on the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. TPM's John Light and Kate Riga describe it as Trump's half-failed attempt at a self-coup. The big lie that drove it, they say, is alive and well and may, in fact, only be getting healthier, if that's the right word to describe it. Throughout 2021 and into 2022, we have seen a deluge of efforts to continually sow doubt in the results of the 2020 election. And those efforts, it can be argued, have been as effective and arguably more so than the efforts to prove the opposite. That, in fact, Joe Biden's election was legitimate and with now nearly 80 percent of self-identified Republicans in recent polling believing that Biden's election was actually stolen, not legitimate. And that Donald Trump actually should have been declared the winner, despite the utter lack of evidence more than a full year later. That there was anything materially unusual or fraudulent about the 2020 results in any way. I might and have argued uh, that one of the reasons the uh, the liars are having an easier time of it is that those defending democracy and the legitimacy of the election seem to have a very difficult time going on the offensive, if you will, to call out what happened for what it was a blatant attempt by Donald Trump to steal the 2020 presidential election. Democrats and media, it seems, are just too polite 
I guess, even now, to use direct, accurate, specific words that the American people can actually easily understand. Donald Trump tried and failed to steal the election. It is that simple. He attempted his theft in myriad ways, ending with his attempt to hurl his supporters at the constitutional certification of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory during a joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. The result, of course, as we all know, was a deadly, if failed, insurrection. President Biden, in his remarks today from the Capitol, which we will share in a bit, was slightly less polite in his response, and that's a good thing, I think. In the years since the assault, there have been gentle, polite attempts at accountability for some of the low-level grunts who physically carried out Trump's last attempt to steal the election for him. And an A-plus effort so far by a bipartisan congressional committee to get to the truth of what happened that day and how we got there. But even they, for the moment anyway, are still too polite to describe the effort for what it was, an unprecedented attempt by a sitting president to steal an American presidential election. The other reason why I think it's easier for the liars to lie about the election and harder for the truth tellers to make their case is that our elections are tabulated in secret through complicated anti-small-d democratic computerized processes that are very difficult for the public to oversee for themselves, to know for a fact that the elections were counted accurately. With that obscurity, of course, comes not security, but opportunity for bad guys to lie about what actually happened when tens of thousands of independent jurisdictions around the country tallied up and certified election results from November 2020. So, yeah, uh, we will continue on this program and at bradblog.com, our now decades-long fight for transparency in American elections in hopes of helping to somehow save American democracy. That's not too much to ask, is it? But for now, the liars are arguably winning the day, even after losing the election. If members of the media are wondering why that is, they may want to ask themselves some tough questions. I know that we do. We do on this program uh, every day and every night as we try to figure out if what we are doing here is the right thing and being done in the right and most effective way. I do not know if we are or not, but we are trying. There is a lot on the line. But make no mistake, one year after the horrific events of January 6th, the liars are winning. Here's CNN's Donny O'Sullivan speaking to Trump supporters this past week. January 6th attack was not the Republicans nor Trump. It was the Democrats were behind it all. They're the ones that caused it all. Do you really believe that? I know it. And there is no way that a Republican would act that way. And there is no way that Trump had anything to do with what happened on January 6th. What about all the Trump supporters that have been charged? And indicted. Because it's all Democratic judges and people that were on the take from the Democrats. It's been a year since the attack on the U.S. Capitol. This is our Capitol! 
and because of disinformation, denial and diversion, Americans don't have a shared history, a shared understanding of what happened here on that day. I think the whole reporting of it is a giant hoax. We are very peaceful people. So it was a total setup to me. It was the FBI had set it up. I don't believe that they were Trump supporters that did that. You said the whole thing's a setup. You don't really believe that, do you? I do. I do. Because Trump won the election. They, 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 they've proven it over and over again. When I spoke to Trump supporters here in Washington on January 6th, most were in denial about the results of the 2020 election. Do you accept that Biden won the election? Absolutely not. Uh, Biden did not win this Trump election. Guaranteed. On January 6th, we walked with Trump supporters who marched from the White House, where Trump was doing his speech, here to the US Capitol. And as we arrived here, that is when the first security barrier was breached. At the time, some Trump supporters told me they were happy with what happened here at the Capitol. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. I think we should have gone on in and yanked the, our senators out by the hair of the head and drug them out and said, no more. <laughs> I'm absolutely uh, stand behind 100% what happened here today. 1,000%. Things terrible how this election was stolen. But now, many deny Trump supporters are to blame. I spoke to Trump supporters at two recent events held by the former president in Florida. I think that it was set up, and I think that people didn't know what was happening, and I think that they went in there and they were caught in a trap, if you will. You're suggesting that January 6th was, was a setup? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. But you would acknowledge there was, there was a lot of Trump supporters involved in the violence that day? I didn't see any Trump supporters in the violence. I saw people that pretended to be Trump supporters in that violence. I really don't think Trump had much to do with it than people that were supporters for him. Some were involved, but I think they were enticed by the FBI and by, by you know, undercover agents. Federal prosecutors have charged more than 700 people in connection with the Capitol riots and repeatedly documented the rioters' support for President Trump. But some people in right-wing media have pushed the dangerous idea that it was all an FBI plot. FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol. There is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that this was some kind of false flag event staged by the Democrats or the FBI. What would you say to people who say January 6th was the biggest attack on American democracy since Absolute the Civil War. Absolute rubbish. But amid all the denial and deflection, I met one Trump supporter who said it was important to be real about what happened on that day. What do you think of the Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol? Oh, God. You talk about mis misfound feelings. Um, seeing the folks from my side of the state that were there, and they're not the part of the campaign that we would like to have. Do you think some Trump supporters that say it's Antifa, it's Black Lives Matter, that they know that that's bullshit, but they just don't want to admit it's easier to blame someone else? Everyone is afraid to, you know, take the blame. It's that simple. 
Donny O'Sullivan on CNN earlier this week. For the record, every claim made by those supporters of uh, of Trump's uh, attempted authoritarian takeover of the U.S. government through the failed attempt to steal the election, uh, every one of those claims has been debunked time and time again. The New York Times on Wednesday night published a well-documented roundup of the most frequent claims by these folks. I'm not going to go through all of them, but just a few that those Trump supporters there speaking to Donny O'Sullivan uh, seemed most certain of, beginning with the notion that those who attacked the Capitol on January 6th uh, something apparently many of Trump supporters still believe today, uh, well, is provably demonstrably false. For example, it wasn't Antifa, as the Times documents. A mountain of evidence shows that the rioters were supporters of Mr. Trump. A false theory blaming agitators affiliated with Antifa, a loose collection of anti-fascist activists, began to spread on social media before the riot had even ended. Republican members of Congress and Fox News personalities quickly repeated versions of that claim. And by the way, many have continued to do so in the year since. Two days after the Capitol riot was breached, the FBI said there was no evidence that supporters of Antifa had participated in the riot. None of the more than 729 people charged in connection to the riot so far have any connection to Antifa. None. That according to an NPR database of arrest records. In fact, some of those charged took umbrage at the idea that Antifa had received credit for this at all. Don't you dare try to tell me that people are blaming this on Antifa and BLM, said one participant on his Facebook page, that according to his charging documents, we proudly take responsibility for storming the castle, he said. Still, belief in the false theory persists. More than 70 percent of Republicans surveyed in a Yahoo News YouGov poll in May and more than half in a PRRI poll in September maintained that left wing protesters were culpable for the attack. Trump has continued to push the theory himself. He told Fox News's Sean Hannity in November that, quote, bad people that were not patriots at all, including supporters of Antifa, led a lot of people astray at the Capitol, he said. And it wasn't uh, the FBI either, as Fox News propagandists and tools like Tucker Carlson also continue to repeat to this day. FBI agents and informants were cited in charging documents as uh, confidential human sources, an informant, or those, quote, acting in an undercover capacity. According to the theory that federal agents actually organized the riot to entrap supporters of Trump, those listed as unindicted co-conspirators in the documents were also undercover FBI agents or informants. The New York Times reported in September that two FBI informants with ties to the far to the far right group, the Proud Boys, had participated in the events on January 6th. But that does not amount to evidence that the FBI orchestrated the attack in any way or had tried to ensnare Trump supporters. Moreover, records show that of the two informants in question, uh, one of them traveled to Washington of his own volition, not at the behest of his FBI handler. 
And while BLM was referenced uh, during that interview by CNN's O'Sullivan, there is another way that Black Lives Matter protesters have been frequently and repeatedly referenced regularly and to this day in response to the deadly assault on democracy on January 6th by way of comparing what the BLM protesters did in response to the police killing of George Floyd and other African-Americans in 2020 to the attack of the Capitol, most often in hopes of downplaying the Capitol assault as much less worse than what the BLM protesters did. In fact, that is not true at all and demonstrably so. By way of uh, comparison here, there's actual numbers that we can actually look at. About 15 million to 26 million people participated in BLM protests across the U.S. in the summer of 2020, and the vast majority of those protests were peaceful. More than 17,000 people, however, were arrested in connection to the racial justice protests, according to a tally by Washington Post. Out of some 2,600 arrests with details about the charge or protester, 582, or 22 percent, were charged with crimes related to violence or the threat of violence. In other words, one in about 4,400 committed a violent crime among the BLM protesters, assuming that the charging documents are accurate. By way of comparison to January 6, however, one in 56 committed a violent crime at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, according to the charging documents. But those are facts. And we now seem to live in a post-fact society, which rankled some of CNN's so-called experts on Wednesday in the wake of more pretend GOP post-election audits, which keep coming out and yet keep disproving the theory of a stolen election in Arizona, more recently in Texas, as we discussed earlier in the week, also in Wisconsin, all on the heels of new polling revealing that even now as many as 78% of Republicans, which is a huge number, believe that Joe Biden's election was not legitimate. The real deal, though, is that it's never just been about overturning an election. It's been about sowing the seeds of doubt in our democracy, and that effort will continue. And that is a fundamental problem for our democracy. But recognize the real aim is to diminish people's faith in democracy. That's exactly right. There was never any proof. There were never any legitimate questions, the likes of which they were raising about it. But, Harry. Mm. But, but and, and it may very well be that the goals of the audit were achieved anyway. Right. They've sown doubt in the election process. And there should be no doubt. Joe Biden won legitimately. The elections across the 50 states were conducted legitimately. Yet if you look at the polling data, what do you see? You see that the vast majority of Republicans do not believe that Joe Biden won enough votes to win this election legitimately. So... Donald Trump is accomplishing his goal ahead of 2022 and ahead of 2024. You see the polling on your screen, which shows that Republicans already don't believe the results that they're being showed for no reason. It's all BS. Yet 78 percent of Republicans believe that Biden didn't win the election legitimately. What the heck are we doing? You know, I look at these numbers going back since 2004. In all the elections, the candidate who lost their supporters accepted the results of the election. Here, this is unique. This is crazy. What the heck? In the poll numbers show, what, what does the, the number show about the evidence, as it were? Oh, yeah. 
Did Biden legitimately win enough votes for the presidency? Is there solid evidence of that? 54% of Republicans say that there is solid evidence that he did not win the election legitimately. Where the hell is that solid evidence? Are they making it up in their minds? Are they believing the garbage that Trump is spewing out there? It's all BS. I I just, you know, I'm getting so animated because people are believing a lie that has no basis in fact. They've been lied to from the level of the president. Democracy depends upon the losers accepting the legitimacy of the result. This is basic. This doesn't need to be checked. This is fundamental, but it has been undermined intentionally. Yes, yes, it has been undermined intentionally. I'm glad the folks at CNN are starting to notice and starting to get a little bit upset about it. Uh, But that is that's only possible because we have an election system from the way we cast and count votes to the way the presidential elections are certified at the federal level that makes these claims possible in the first place. Without fundamental reform, much of which we've been calling for in various ways here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com going back nearly 20 years now, this is all going to get much worse without that reform and much more dangerous before it gets better. And we need to confront those facts and this reality. Even if the reality for many is based on lies and propaganda and false facts, if we can't get our feet on the ground as to where we are, we are going to have a very difficult time clawing our way out of this. Authoritarianism and fascism, it seems, has had far greater success over the centuries, and that is for a reason. It's much easier than democracy, which requires truth, facts, transparency, public oversight, public participation in its defense. But if you are lied to, if you don't actually know what is actually going on in our country, in your government, if you don't know the facts, it is difficult to defend them or defend democracy itself. So we strive to bring you the independently verifiable facts every day in a way that does not require you to simply trust us in hopes of somehow, someday, some way, restoring a sense of a shared reality from which we can then all take action. Actions, of course, that we will continue to discuss in the days and weeks and months and perhaps years ahead, but which require all of us to join them in varying ways. As we have been saying around here for years now, this democracy ain't going to save itself. On the first anniversary of the worst attack in more than two centuries on the seat of American democracy itself, the U.S. Capitol, both our vice president and president spoke to the American people. We'll share the remarks today of both, beginning with Vice President Kamala Harris from Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Fellow Americans, good morning. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 
2021. On that day, I was not only vice president-elect, I was also a United States senator. And I was here at the Capitol that morning at a classified hearing with fellow members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Hours later, the gates of the Capitol were breached. I had left, but my thoughts immediately turned not only to my colleagues, but to my staff, who had been forced to seek refuge in our office, converting filing cabinets into barricades. What the extremists who roamed these halls targeted was not only the lives of elected leaders. What they sought to degrade and destroy was not only a building, hallowed as it is. What they were assaulting were the institutions, the values, the ideals that generations of Americans have marched, picketed, and shed blood to establish and defend. On January 6th, we all saw what our nation would look like if the forces who seek to dismantle our democracy are successful. The lawlessness, the violence, the chaos. What was at stake then and now is the right to have our future decided the way the Constitution prescribes it by we, the people, all the people. We cannot let our future be decided by those bent on silencing our voices, overturning our votes, and peddling lies and misinformation by some radical faction that may be newly resurgent, but whose roots run old and deep. When I meet with young people, they often ask about the state of our democracy, about January 6th. And what I tell them is January 6th reflects the dual nature of democracy, its fragility and its strength. You see, the strength of democracy is the rule of law. The strength of democracy is the principle that everyone should be treated equally, that elections should be free and fair, that corruption should be given no quarter. The strength of democracy is that it empowers the people. And the fragility of democracy is this, that if we are not vigilant, if we do not defend it, Democracy simply will not stand. It will falter and fail. The violent assault that took place here, the very fact of how close we came to an election overturned, that reflects the fragility of democracy.
Yet, the resolve I saw in our elected leaders when I returned to the Senate chamber that night, their resolve not to yield, but to certify the election, their loyalty not to party or person, to the Constitution of the United States, that reflects its strength. And so, of course, does the heroism of the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the National Guard, and other law enforcement officers who answered the call that day, including those who later succumbed to wounds, both visible and invisible. Our thoughts are with all of the families who have lost a loved one. You know, I wonder, how will January 6th come to be remembered in the years ahead? Will it be remembered as a moment that accelerated the unraveling of the oldest, greatest democracy in the world? Or a moment when we decided to secure and strengthen our democracy for generations to come. The American spirit is being tested. The answer to whether we will meet that test resides where it always has resided in our country, with you, the people. And the work ahead will not be easy. Here in this very building, a decision will be made about whether we uphold the right to vote and ensure free and fair elections. Let's be clear, we must pass the voting rights bills that are now before the Senate. And the American people must also do something more. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We must unite in defense of our democracy in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity and posterity. That is the preamble of the Constitution that President Biden and I swore an oath to uphold and defend. And that is the enduring promise of the United States of America. Vice President Kamala Harris speaking on Thursday from the U.S. Capitol on the first anniversary of the January 6th attack on that Capitol and on our democracy. That enduring promise continues here after a quick break with the President of the United States. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As we've been noting this week, citing the headline of a New Year's Day editorial by the Times editorial board, every day is January 6th now. And especially today, the anniversary of the attack on our U.S. Capitol with Donald Trump's last desperate and deadly attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election. At least five people lost their lives that day as law enforcement officials were attacked by Trump's enraged and lied to mob. More than 140 Capitol and D.C. police were injured, some of them critically, and several would go on to take their own lives in the days that followed. New polling from AP finds that three in 10 Republicans say the attack was not violent. About another three in 10 say it was just somewhat violent. Around two thirds of all Americans, however, described that day as very or extremely violent, including about nine in 10 Democrats. In, in perhaps a small slice of good news today, the percentage of Americans who blame Donald Trump for the January 6th riot has grown slightly over the past year, with 57 percent now saying he bears significant responsibility for what took place. In an AP poll taken in the days after the attack, just 50 percent said that. In fact, a majority, 57 percent of the U.S. senators, including seven Republicans at the time, joined all of the Democrats after Trump's second impeachment trial to find him guilty of inciting the riot in his attempt to steal the election. Trump's claims of widespread election fraud were all rejected by the courts and refuted by his own Justice Department. An investigation by the AP found fewer than 475 cases of actual or at least potential voter fraud among 25 and a half million ballots that were cast in the six battleground states that are disputed by Trump. A minuscule number in percentage terms that wouldn't have come close to overturning the election in any state in 2020. On Thursday, commemorating the first anniversary of last year's deadly failed uh, assault and attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, spoke to the nation from the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol, where he accused Donald Trump and his supporters of holding a dagger to the throat of democracy in a blistering and accurate criticism of the defeated former president whom Biden correctly blamed for the assault that has fundamentally changed Congress and the nation and raised concerns both here at home and globally about the future of American democracy. Here is the bulk of Joe Biden's remarks from the Capitol on Thursday. Our fellow Americans, to state the obvious, one year ago today, in this sacred place, democracy was attacked, simply attacked. The will of the people was under assault. The Constitution, our Constitution, faced the gravest of threats. Outnumbered in the face of a brutal attack, the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the National Guard, and other brave law enforcement officials saved the rule of law. Our democracy held. We, the people, endured. We, the people, prevailed. For the first time in our history, 
A president had not just lost an election, he tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power as a violent mob breached the Capitol. But they failed. They failed. And on this day of remembrance, we must make sure that such attack never, never happens again. The Bible tells us that we shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free. We shall know the truth. Well, here is the God's truth about January 6, 2021. Close your eyes. Go back to that day. What do you see? Rioters rampaging, waving for the first time inside this Capitol. Confederate flag that symbolized the cause to destroy America, to rip us apart. Even during the Civil War, that never, ever happened. But it happened here in 2021. Rioters menaced these halls, threatening the life of the Speaker of the House, literally erecting gallows to hang the Vice President of the United States of America. But what did we not see? We didn't see a former president who had just rallied the mob to attack, sitting in the private dining room off the Oval Office in the White House, watching it all on television and doing nothing for hours as police were assaulted, lives at risk, the nation's capital under siege. This wasn't a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. They weren't looking to uphold a free and fair election. They were looking to overturn one. They were looking to save the cause of America. They were looking to subvert the Constitution. This isn't about being bogged down in the past. It's about making sure the past isn't buried. That's the only way forward. That's what great nations do. They don't bury the truth. They face up to it. Sounds like hyperbole, but that's the truth. They face up to it. We are a great nation. My fellow Americans, in life there's truth, and tragically there are lies. Lies conceived and spread for profit and power. We must be absolutely clear about what is true and what is a lie. And here's the truth. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest, and because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our Constitution. He can't accept he lost, even though that's what 93 United States senators, his own attorney general, his own vice president, governors and state officials in every battleground state have all said he lost. 
That's what 81 million of you did as you voted for a new way forward. He has done what no president in American history, the history of this country has ever, ever done. He refused to accept the results of an election and the will of the American people. And so at this moment, we must decide what kind of nation are we going to be? Are we going to be a nation that accepts political violence as a norm? Are we going to be a nation where we allow partisan election officials to overturn the legally expressed will of the people? Are we going to be a nation that lives not by the light of the truth, but in the shadow of lies? We cannot allow ourselves to be that kind of nation. The way forward is to recognize the truth and to live by it. The big lie being told by the former president and many Republicans who fear his wrath is that the insurrection in this country actually took place on Election Day, November 3rd, 2020. Think about that. Is that what you thought? Is that what you thought when you voted that day? Taking part in an insurrection? Is that what you thought you were doing? Or did you think you were carrying out your highest duty as a citizen and voting? The former presidential supporters are trying to rewrite history. They want you to see Election Day as the day of insurrection. And the riot that took place here on January 6th as a true expression of the will of the people. Can you think of a more twisted way to look at this country, to look at America? I cannot. Here's the truth. The election of 2020 was the greatest demonstration of democracy in the history of this country. More of you voted in that election than have ever voted in all of American history. Right now, in state after state, new laws are being written not to protect the vote, but to deny it. Not only to suppress the vote, but to subvert it. Not to strengthen and protect our democracy, but because the former president lost, instead of looking at the election results from 2020 and saying they need new ideas or better ideas to win more votes, the former president and his supporters have decided the only way for them to win is to suppress your vote and subvert our elections. It's wrong. It's undemocratic. And frankly, it's un-American. The second big lie being told by the former president's supporters is that the results of the election of 2020 can't be trusted. The truth is that no election, no election in American history has been more closely scrutinized or more carefully counted. Every legal challenge questioning the results in every court in this country that could have been made, was made, and was rejected, often rejected by Republican-appointed judges, including judges appointed by the former president himself, from state courts to the United States Supreme Court. Recounts were undertaken in state after state. Georgia, Georgia, counted its results three times with one recount by hand. 
Phony partisan audits were undertaken long after the election in several states. None changed the results. And in some of them, the irony is the margin of victory actually grew slightly. So let's speak plainly about what happened in 2020. Even before the first ballot was cast, the former president was preemptively sowing doubt about the election results. He built his lie over months. It wasn't based on any facts. He was just looking for an excuse, a pretext to cover for the truth. He's not just a former president. He's a defeated former president. Defeated by a margin of over 7 million of your votes in a full and free and fair election. There is simply zero proof the election results are inaccurate. In fact, in every venue where evidence had to be produced, an oath to tell the truth had to be taken, the former president failed to make his case. Just think about this. Finally, the third big lie being told by a former president and his supporters is that the mob who sought to impose their will through violence are the nation's true patriots. Is that what you thought when you looked at the mob ransacking the Capitol, destroying property, literally defecating in the hallways, rifling through the desks of senators and representatives, hunting down members of Congress? Patriots? Not in my view. To me, the true patriots were the more than 150 Americans who peacefully expressed their vote at the ballot box. You can't love your country only when you win. You can't obey the law only when it's convenient. You can't be patriotic when you embrace and enable lies. Those who storm this capital and those who instigated and incited, and those who called on them to do so, held a dagger at the throat of America, at American democracy. They didn't come here out of patriotism or principle. They came here in rage, not in service of America, but rather in service of one man. Those who incited the mob, the real plotters, who were desperate to deny the certification of this election and defy the will of the voters. But their plot was foiled. Congressmen, Democrats, and Republicans stayed. They honored their oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Look, folks, <clears throat> now it's up to all of us, to we the people, to stand for the rule of law, preserve the flame of democracy, to keep the promise of America alive. The promise is at risk, targeted by the forces that value brute strength over the sanctity of democracy, fear over hope, personal gain over public good. Make no mistake about it, we're living at an inflection point in history both at home and abroad. We're engaged anew in a struggle between democracy and autocracy, between the aspirations of the many and the greed of the few, between the people's right of self-determination 
and self, self-seeking autocrat. From China to Russia and beyond, they're betting that democracy's days are numbered. They're betting that America is a place for the autocrat, the dictator, the strongman. I do not believe that. That is not who we are. That is not who we have ever been. And that is not who we should ever, ever be. The former president who lies about this election and the mob that attacked this Capitol could not be further away from the core American values. They want to rule or they will ruin. The lies that drove the anger and madness we saw in this place, they have not abated. So we have to be firm, resolute, and unyielding in our defense of the right to vote and to have that vote counted. We are in a battle for the soul of America. A battle that by the grace of God, and the goodness and gracious and greatness of this nation, we will win. Believe me, I know how difficult democracy is. And I'm crystal clear about the threats America faces. But I also know that our darkest days can lead to light and hope. From the death and destruction, as the Vice President referenced in Pearl Harbor, can the triumph over the forces of fascism. From the brutality of Bloody Sunday on the Edmund Pettus Bridge came historic voting rights legislation. So now let's step up, write the next chapter in American history, where January 6th marks not the end of democracy, but the beginning of a renaissance of liberty and fair play. I did not seek this fight brought to this capital one year ago today. <clears throat> but I will not shrink from it either. I will stand in this breach. I will defend this nation. And I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. We will make sure the will of the people is heard, that the ballot prevails, not violence, that authority in this nation will always be peacefully transferred, I believe the power of the presidency and the purpose is to unite this nation, not divide it, to lift us up, not tear us apart, to be about us, about us, not about me. Deep in the heart of America burns a flame, lit almost 250 years ago, of liberty, freedom, and equality. This is not a land of kings or dictators or autocrats. We're a nation of laws of order, not chaos, of peace, not violence. Here in America, the people rule through the ballot and their will prevails. So let us remember, together, we're one nation under God, indivisible. That today, tomorrow, and forever at our best, we are the United States of America. God bless you all. May God protect our troops. And my God bless those who stand watch over our democracy. Working on it. 
That was President Biden speaking from the U.S. Capitol on uh, the one-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on that Capitol. Quick break, and we're back with more. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you, who drop by bradblog.com donate. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, I know. It's been kind of a heavy show today, Desi Doyen. Yes, yes, it has. It's a solemn day. It is. Haven't even had the chance to say hello to you. Hope you're holding up well on a solemn day. Yes, yes. It's it's a moment for reflection and uh, to look ahead at what we're going to need to do to help save this democracy. Yeah, and I am sorry about how heavy it has been, but it's, you know, it's been one of those days. It uh, is what it is. Things are, are not good, and there is really no way to sugarcoat that. Although, I was happy to see uh, Donald, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden, stand up and call out Donald Trump there, if not by name. But uh, it's a very small piece of a much larger effort that, frankly, involves all of us. All of us, Literally. Uh, And, yeah, we will be continuing to talk about it in the days ahead. But I would not sugarcoat it. Uh, I wouldn't want to, uh, even if I could. Uh, As noted, we all need to understand what's going on here. Yes. And that's if we stand any chance of saving ourselves, our American democracy, and yet with it, the world, I am convinced, Desiree. Yep. If American democracy falls, so does well, everything. So anyway, I don't know if this lightens things up today or not, but I think it does help us sort of end on a slightly more hopeful note today. A poem, a poem actually delivered on New Year's Day, but appropriate, I think, for today from Amanda Gorman, the nation's youth poet laureate. Yes, we have one of those. You may remember her from her moving and impassioned presentation at Joe Biden's inauguration last year. Here she is again on New Year's Day. May this be the day we come together. Morning we come to mend, withered we come to weather, torn we come to tend, battered we come to better. Tethered by this year of yearning, we are learning that though we weren't ready for this, we have been readied by it. We steadily vow that no matter how we are weighed down, we must always pave a way forward. This hope is our door, our portal, even if we never get back to normal, someday we can venture beyond it to leave the known and take the first steps. So let us not return to what was normal, but reach toward what is next, what was cursed, We will cure what was plagued. We will prove pure. Where we tend to argue, we will try to agree. Those fortunes we forswore, now the future we foresee. Where we weren't aware, we're now awake. Those moments we missed are now these moments we make, the moments we meet. And our hearts, once all together beaten, now all together 
beat. Come, look up with kindness yet, for even solace can be sourced from sorrow. We remember not just for the sake of yesterday, but to take on tomorrow. We heed this old spirit in a new day's lyric in our hearts. We hear it for old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne. Be bold, sing time this year. Be bold, sing time, for when you honor yesterday, tomorrow ye will find no what we fought need not be forgot nor for none. It defines us, binds us as one. Come over, join this day just begun. For wherever we come together, we will forever over come. The United States National Youth Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman. Thank you, Amanda. Good job. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't know if it lightens things up or not, but uh, it actually does end uh, with a bit of a smile, yes. I think, and maybe a tear. Anyway, thank you very much uh, to our producer, Desi Doy, and thanks to all of you uh, for sharing a portion of your day or night with us on this solemn day. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program or just want to hear it all over again, you can drop by bradblog.com, download this show or any that we have ever done for free, bradblog.com. While you're there, please do consider hitting one of those donate buttons or going straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.